great Odin's raven. This is crazy. This is crazy. This is crazy. This is, uh, this is ridiculous. Okay, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. With, I'll go. Hello and welcome to the FilmPulse.net podcast, episode number 34. My name is Adam and today I'm joined as always by Kevin. How are you, Kevin? Cold. Cold up there? Cold. Cold up north, huh? Yeah. Autumn's here. It's kind of hot down here, actually. It's pretty nice out. Pretty breezy. Oh, yeah? Yeah. A little breezy. Uh, This week we'll be reviewing Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master... We'll also be highlighting some Amazon Blu-ray deals. We'll be making our weekly movie predictions. And finally, we'll be going over this week's DVD and Blu-ray releases. Uh, First, uh, actually, first, I want to make a note. We have recorded the Haneke Roundtable. So that is done. We're just waiting to put it out. We don't know if we're going to put it out as a normal episode or maybe put it out as a bonus we haven't decided yet, so I'm I'm actually editing it now. We're going to get it put out there for all of you, but it, it happened. It, it was happened. something that happened. We should we should make it a long lost episode, never release it. <laughs> and then 10 years later, put yes. it out there. Mm. Put it out. That's an idea. There you go. Let's talk about what we've been watching. Let's start off with you, Kevin. Well, uh, earlier in the week was all, it was sort of framing Haneke for the Haneke round table. So a lot of that, only one that I'm going to mention here, because we talked about most of it in the Haneke round table, but one that we didn't really get around to was the seventh continent, which was mm-hmm. his first one. And God, that was tedious. <clears throat> <laughs> really? Yeah. Surprisingly for a Haneke movie, very tedious, uh, very dark. And just sad. It was his first movie. So, I mean, I made a point to watch that. I always like to try and watch a director's first film to see how they are. And he is Haneke in his first film. Mm. And all the subsequent other titles. But it's just, like like we said in the roundtable, just get, like, I get it. But just move on. Speed it up just sort of dealing with like the monotony of life and I get, apparently it's like based on a true story like it actually happened I think in Austria it's just a family and their daughter and they just decide to stop like living and just end it all and there is a scene where they just decide to destroy like everything in their house so he goes out and buys like saws and hammers and sledgehammers all this stuff and for seriously I think it's like 30, 40 minutes, but it felt like four hours. They just <laughs> they just destroy the house. That's all they do. It's like that game show that used to be on Nickelodeon where the, there'd be rooms set up and the kids would have to go in and destroy it. Remember that? Mm-hmm. I can't remember, I can't remember what the name of that game show was, but it was amazing. I yeah, I can't, I can't remember the name of it either, but that was awesome. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, it mm. was like that, but not fun. Maybe it drew inspiration from the Seventh Continent. Maybe. That's really bizarre. (laughs) (laughs) Mark Summers or whoever hosted it (laughs) saw it. (laughs) Hey, an idea. Mark Summers is a huge Haneke fan. (laughs) But uh, another thing, they do kill animals in it. Of course. And I talked to you about it uh, 
they kill fish. He smashes like their big aquarium. But the worst part about it is, you know, cameras on the fish and they're flopping around. And then they cut away. And I'm thinking, all right, good. You know, just come in, pick the fish up, put them back in some water. Bad enough you made them suffer. No, he cuts back to the fish and keeps the camera on them until they die. Like, he just, he can't get enough. Even back in the beginning, he was all about killing animals. He's a crazy guy. Something something going on there. He needs to see somebody. Yeah. And then I moved on to Weathering Heights. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I watched Weathering Heights. Weathering Heights. Weathering? Weathering, I guess. Weather, weathering Heights. But I always just want to say weathering. I know, the same here. And I kept getting yelled at by my wife for doing that. Based on the classic Emily Bronte novel. And you know me, I'm a huge Bronte fan. <laughs> <laughs> and by huge fan, I mean I've never and will never read any of those books. But, I mean, I can say that they're the Bronte sisters are better than, like, who's the other one? Jane Austen. Better than yeah. that. I mean, at least there's a darkness to it. Uh, I watched this because it's directed by Andrea Arnold. And I absolutely loved Fish Tank, which was her last film. And I think she's probably one of the most important female directors working right now. And I thought it was very bizarre that she was remaking Wuthering Heights. And I'm like, oh my God, this movie's been made I don't know how many times. Like when I looked it up on IMDb. Yeah, I looked it up too. It was like eight or nine times. Yeah, this is one of those movies that just gets remade all the time. I mean, they made it in 2009. Tom Hardy was in it. Mm Mm-hmm. But uh, first things first about Wuthering Heights is, oh my God, the cinematography. It looked good. Oh my God. Absolutely amazing. Unbelievably beautiful. But if it didn't have that, this movie would be awful. Just awful. But I think that made up for it big time, which the cinematographer is Robbie Ryan. Yeah, I saw you gave it a three out of five, and I was like, wow, that's... Kudos to him. I thought he did an amazing job. I I didn't... I enjoyed this movie more than I thought I was going to. There was a good bit of darkness to it that I enjoyed, and I also liked the the direction she went with with like how they talked she sort of kept it modern yeah it was yeah. still set in the olden days so like when they swore and stuff they just swore like any teenager would nowadays right and i like that but the one thing that i read is like people are up in arms that Heath, the heathcliff character was played by uh a black guy yeah by an Afri- african-american actor so like i asked my wife i'm like is heathcliff like actually like a white male like a british white british person she's like well so we look at the book because she owns it and it clearly states in there that he's a dark-skinned gypsy so i don't understand why people are all up in arms about this yeah maybe be probably because no one read the book and they've only have any point of reference from all the other movie iterations yeah because 2009 tom hardy played heathcliff in 92 it was ralph fines and then, of course, back in 39, it was Lawrence Olivier. So it's always been like a white man. But clearly states in the book that he's a dark-skinned gypsy. So deal with it. 
Um, I don't know. Maybe you could interpret that different ways. Uh, the, you know, the fact that I think that it, they made a conscious. I think that they knew what they were doing when they made him a black guy. I think that they were trying to do something different. Yeah, and it's just another. I don't know if you've sort of noticed this, but this. I'm sure you have, but this recent trend of like redoing all the classics. Like, what? Why is this going on? Like, we had Jane Eyre. Now we have yeah. this. Apparently, there's a new Great Expectations coming out, directed by Mike Newell, who did Donnie Brasco and the Prince of Persia movie. Right. So, so I don't know if this is like something that has to be done. Like, is there laws in cinema? That like every like every every few years they have to remake all the classics, and then two two things. Heathcliff is a huge dick. <laughs> yeah, he is such an asshole. <laughs> yeah, he is. Like, wh- I I don't the the whole time I was watching the movie, I was like, what what's his motivation here? Like, he's just like crazy. He's like mentally ill. I think. Yeah, he's just. I don't know if it, I guess because of. Henley character beating him all the time when he was younger. I don't know if that's what it, you know, made him who he is now. But man, he really comes off as an asshole. <clears throat> so it was hard to like to sympathize with him. And he's like, you know, essentially the main character. And I just didn't really feel anything for him. And then also necrophilia. There is necrophilia in the movie. So <laughs> there you go. Did that? Did that warrant an extra half star? <laughs> no, that that took away because that that whole scene was just bizarre. Yeah, I did because like in the very beginning, I'm like, is he? Is he? And then you know, as it goes on, you're like, he is. Oh, I don't like that. Yeah, I mean, I like the cinematography a lot, but for me, it wasn't enough. I know that you. When you watch movies, you weigh cinematography a lot more heavily than I do. Yeah. And I, yeah, I thought it looked great. I enjoyed the look of the movie, but it was one of those things where, okay, uh, first 20 minutes, half hour, I get the look. I get it. But now yeah. let's, let's do something. Let's do uh, something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I will and, say that. It was, more, it was more style over substance. Now, I, I did like it more than Jane Eyre. I will yes. say that. Yeah, it was uh, definitely better than Jane Eyre. Uh, Jane Eyre was was rough. Actually, I fell asleep. I saw it in the theater. One of the very few times I fell asleep in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I remember in the theater just like checking my watch, like every five minutes. Like, is this over yet? I, I just I find movies like this with this uh, plot. I just don't think that they hold up over time like no no just they don't. M- mainly because they've been done to death but w- the way that we are is different now and it's not a big deal you know like yeah and i just, mean the only reason i saw jane Eyre was because carrie uh did it, who did uh sim nombre which i absolutely loved so it's that it's like that if like wuthering heights if anyone else directed this i wouldn't have cared I wouldn't want to see it at all. Same with Jane Eyre. But because those two directors were doing it, I was like, oh, God, check it out. I just hope that she never does this again. Just keep mm. making other movies. I I think that she'll be going back to doing her own thing. 
Well, I did read in the interviews that she was saying that she would never do a period piece or like a classic, but for some reason she did. I don't know. I don't know if it was like a, she was sort of uh, challenging herself maybe, but I hope that that little foray into that is over. So Andrea Arnold, stop and go back to your own thing in Hmm. case you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) And then last night I watched Shame which is on my, finally got around to it, which is on my list of movies I had to watch before the end of the year. I have eight left. Uh, I didn't, it wasn't as difficult as I thought it was going to be. Mm, I, I mean, I didn't find it, I didn't find it, dif- well, I was bored by it. I wasn't on board with it. I, I know it got a lot of hype and a lot of people loved it, but I didn't, I didn't I'm, hate it. I enjoyed it. A um, couple of things that I really liked about it. I liked the music, which was done by Harry Escott. I really, it's especially the like the end sequence where he's just like going deeper and deeper into his addiction, and just nothing but music playing. And there's no audible dialogue. I mm-hmm. really liked all of that, but there was one thing that sort of bothered me, and I don't know. Like, I don't know much about sex addiction, but the whole gay club sex scene. Yeah. Where, like, and I understand that they're probably trying to show that he's addicted to sex that much that he's going to resort to that. But throughout the movie, you see him using hookers. Like, wouldn't he just get a hooker? You'd think so. Or you would think, I mean, he's that into, like, his sexual addiction. Don't you think he would know of, like, heterosex clubs? In New York City that he could just go to? You would think so, but I think that, you know, they wanted to show him hitting rock bottom, and I guess that was <laughs> considered and I just, to be and rock I, bottom. And I don't, like, again, I don't know much about sex addiction. To the to me, that just seemed really un, unrealistic. Like, I don't think his character would have done that at all. Like I said, I think he would have just went to a hooker, or he would know of a a heterosex club that he could have went to. Plus, I mean, he gets denied the one nightclub that he's trying to get into. And that's mm-hmm. when he goes to the gay club. But there's so many nightclubs in New York. Yeah. You think he's just like, oh, darn it, I didn't get into that one. Well, gay club. <laughs> uh, I don't and, know. It- and then right, well, the thing that bothers me is that right after that, he goes to the... I guess like the madam and has that three way. And I'm just thinking, why didn't he just go have the three way if he needed sex that badly? I don't know. I didn't really understand a lot of his motivations in that movie. Yeah. And then the other thing I read that I just wanted to ask you about is a lot of people, I read a lot of comments saying that there was like a theme or sort of like an undercurrent that strongly suggested incest between McQueen and character and Carrie Mulligan. Did you get that at all watching that movie? Um, I thought about it while I was watching it. Like, I was like, no, I was like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Because when, when she's introduced, it's, you, you already know that he's kind of a deviant. Yeah. And you're just wondering where this is going to go. And after she was introduced and they kind of established their relationship, I didn't, I didn't really think it was going to happen. 
No. And just the, the, a lot of people were suggesting that, that it happened, like, in their past. I was like, I, I, I didn't really get that at all. No, I didn't get that. But, I mean, maybe. But I did I did enjoy it. I think I ended up giving it, like, an 8. I would probably... Uh, I would probably give it a rewatch. I just the the first time I saw it, I just wasn't really on board. I felt that it was like one of those movies where they didn't have a whole lot to say, but yeah. they put they put in a lot of like uh, the one scene that I'm thinking of is the the scene where she they're at the the bar or whatever and she's singing. Yeah, and it just I felt like there were so many scenes that went on way too long. For, oh, yeah. for no really for no real reason Steve McQueen definitely does that <laughs> but I, I didn't did that I, a lot in hunger I but I didn't have a problem with it in hunger though I, I don't know why I think it was I, probably the you know the topic maybe yeah I guess it was on. in hunger it was just a more interesting subject I guess yeah to me this this was like a character study but at the same time they didn't really I don't know, it just didn't seem like they knew enough about what they were talking about. Yeah. But I don't like I said, I don't know anything about sexual addiction, so maybe they were spot on. Don't know. I would probably give it another chance. I think this is definitely one of those movies that you have to be in the right mood. Right. right. To watch this. This isn't something that you can just be like, oh, I'm a pop in shame. I think that that was the situation that I was in at the time. I, I don't think I was really fully invested yeah, well, that's what took me so long to see it, is I was just never, like, in the right frame of mind to be like, yeah, let me watch a movie about sexual addiction. <laughs> Seems like a fun romp. Yeah, not really high on my to-do list. Is that, uh, is that all you got? Yeah, I mean, all the other Hanekes, but we talked about that in the roundtable yeah. and... The Master, okay. which we I had delve into. We will delve into The Master in just a few moments. I had a great week this week. Great uh, week. Uh, very, very uh, good week. Um, I started off a little slow. I saw Red Lights with Robert De Niro and um, Sigourney Weaver and Killian Murphy and Elizabeth Olsen and Toby Jones um, and um, the guy from, I always forget his name because he's relatively new, but he's the kid from Submarine. Kid from Submarine. The main character. Oh, Craig Roberts. Yes. I like yeah. him. Yeah, I like him too. And he was he was in this as well, in a smaller role. This wasn't what I expected it to be. Um, and I, I didn't really like it that much, but... I think one of the big issues and why I had such an issue was because it had so much going for it. It was a really interesting story. It was kind of about like uh, Sigourney Weaver plays this professor and Killian Murphy's kind of her assistant. And they sort of go around and debunk uh, people that claim to be psychics mm-hmm. and like paranormal stuff and, and all that. And Robert De Niro is like the ultimate psychic like he's like the most famous and he's like the guy that they can never prove that he's a fraud and stuff and it starts off good it starts off interesting but it just kind of falls apart by the end and there's a there's kind of a a twist at the end that is pretty ridiculous Mm. yeah i mean like you said it that's 
the story is extremely interesting. And it's directed by Rodrigo Cortez, who did Buried, which was right. awesome. Yes. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It had a lot had a lot going for it, but I think ultimately it just felt kind of flat. And this is one of those movies, too, that I thought, you know, when I first saw the trailer, I was like, oh, Robert De Niro's doing a good movie. Yep. Here we go. He's back. <laughs> nope. Damn. I mean, he's okay in it. Everybody, all the actors are okay. It's just that they don't have a lot to work with. I don't. I, I feel like maybe it was something on a script level, but... Mm. Uh, then I saw Resident Evil Damnation. This is the this is a CG film, and it's made by Capcom, so it's uh, stays close to the game and like the mythology of the video game. And I loved it. It was it was awesome. I mean the the animation alone it's it's worth seeing for that. Is this like uh like the Final Fantasy ones? I can't remember um, what they were called. It's it, yeah, yeah, it is, but better than those. Oh, okay, because um, I I didn't like those Final Fantasy movies. Now, this is the second Resident Evil CGI movie, and I, I like the first one quite a bit too. But this one, uh, I think maybe just because it's newer, it just kind of polishes everything up, and it looks incredible. And there's humor in it. There's a lot of jokes. There's uh, some great action. Basically, everything that the live-action movies aren't, this movie is. <laughs> I would highly recommend checking this out if you're a fan of the series. It's it's very, very good. And, and it was surprising to me that it was good, because it's a straight-to-Blu-ray to release. Yeah, I mean, when you say Resident Evil CGI movie... Yeah, you think straight just, straight to DVD. Uh, you know, I'm automatically thinking of the live action ones that are absolute shit. Right, and so I'm thinking this is shit. It, it's uh, I thought that it was going to be, but I was pleasantly surprised. It's it's great that again. The I can't get over the animation. It is so good in this movie. Like you will be blown away with it. It wow. the the character animation, the movements look really good. Uh, the animation on the actual characters themselves, nothing spectacular, but it's really the environmental shots and the lighting that they really focused on in this. And some of the lighting is just incredible. Wow. It just, it looks great. Uh, then I saw Cosmopolis, David Cronenberg's Cosmopolis. This is an interesting one. I think that a lot of people probably love this. A lot of people probably hate this. A lot of people don't get it. Um, and it's... I don't think it's necessarily a movie that you're supposed to really get. Because there's a lot of... Uh, the majority of the movie's conversations between Robert Pattinson's character and various um, business associates of his talking about uh, very complicated business things, financial yeah. things, and stuff like that. <laughs> And I don't think that you're really meant to understand exactly what they're talking about because they don't tell you really what's going on. They kind of hint at different things, but I think that it's more about the the general, uh, the big picture Yeah. with this. And I actually really enjoyed it. I thought that it was 
an interesting concept how he's the, the whole movie is about him trying to get a haircut and having business meetings in his ridiculously amazing limousine yeah with different people and i would recommend going to see it if you're a cronenberg fan certainly not my favorite of his movies but it's uh it's great and robert pattinson does a good good job good performance paul giamani does a great job in that uh your girl um benoche benoche is in it there's there's a ton of people in this movie so jay barishaw it's it's good I would recommend it. It's still kind of... I'm still sitting with it. I'm still kind of thinking about the deeper meanings of it. But I I recommend checking it out. I I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, Another movie I enjoyed even more was Sound of My Voice. This is a low-budget indie film. Wait. Kind of about this, uh, this couple who decide to make a documentary about this cult. And they go undercover, infiltrate the cult, become members of the cult, and try to figure out what's going on. And the leader of this cult, and I don't think it's a spoiler, I think that they say it in the trailer, but she claims that she's from the future. She's from the year 2054, and this couple is trying to figure out you know, what, what this is all about and what's happening. And... A lot of people, I read reviews for this, and a lot of people had problems with the ending. And since since you didn't see it yet, we'll we'll probably talk about it not on mic about the end because I don't want to spoil it for anybody. But I, I actually didn't have a problem with the end at all. I thought it was a very mm. fitting end, and overall, I thought that the movie was incredible. I loved it. Mm. Might end up on my top ten. I don't know. Yeah, I I cannot wait to see this and i i have to say that uh i think brit marlin's gonna become huge i mean she wrote another earth she wrote this movie too she stars in both she's in that arbitrage movie with richard Gere, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i think she's in the company you keep the robert redford movie too yeah she wrote another movie called the east yeah a lot of people seem to think that she's she's gonna be blowing up and i would agree i haven't seen another earth yet but uh it was good it's really good yeah i might give it a watch this week um i was actually because my girlfriend said that she wanted to see it so we'll probably give that a watch this week but sound of my voice definitely check it out it's it's a low budget film but uh i said i think i said in my letterboxd review that it it's just another example like primer It, it reminded me a lot of primer not necessarily the, the the plot or the story but just kind of how it it looks and how this movie again proves that you don't need a big budget to really put out a, a captivating film and i was just into it the whole time i didn't want it to end my only one of my biggest gripes is that it is short it's a pretty short movie and i wanted more that's 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 good. That's always a good sign. Yeah. Yeah. I, and then uh, finally I saw Dread. And I know that we talked about this a good bit on, you know, we, we were kind of shitting all over it for for a while there. And then 
early reviews started coming out. People started saying it was pretty good because it, it played at uh, TIFF, I believe. And it was getting a lot of positive buzz. So I was interested. So I went to see it this weekend um, and I liked it a lot. It's a surprise. It is, uh, it is a surprise. I have the full review on the site, so you can just go to filmpulse.net and read my full review. But I enjoyed this movie thoroughly from start to finish. Yeah, this is this looks like one of those movies where, you know, we were just sort of talking about, I don't know which podcast it was, but I was sort of stating how, for the most part, we know when a movie is going to be shit. Like 98% yeah, exactly. of the time, we're correct. Yeah, exactly. And, and sometimes we're proven wrong, and this looks like one of those instances. It, it is. And, you know, I remember back when we were kind of criticizing it when the trailer first came out, like, it just looks like it's a raid ripoff. Um, I, I later found out that this was actually started production before the raid started production, so I don't think that it was ripping off the raid. I think that it was just a coincidence. And when you actually see the movie, there is some differences although the it, it is kind of the same general plot yeah. two people that are trapped in this 200 story apartment building and need to shoot their way out and it uh the violence is so over the top and outrageous i it is a whole other level of ultra violence in this movie <laughs> Like, I was surprised. I, I mean, I like violent movies. And they, you know, the, in the trailer, they show this, like, the slow-mo drug. Yeah. And there are several scenes throughout the the film that utilize that ultra-slow motion. And there there's a specific scene where there's, like, a shootout. And they show it in that ultra-slow motion. And it is insane. I mean, bu- bullets, like you can see the bullet traveling into like some, the side of someone's face. Oh, and then you just, and then you just see the other side of their face exploding out and you can see like their teeth and like their cheek. And it's like, you can see like their skin flapping. <laughs> it's just so disgusting and gory, but um, I was loving it. I was at a packed theater. I saw it at 1130 yesterday in the morning. And oh, wow. the theater was packed. And everybody was just gushing over this movie. And I enjoyed it a lot. I, I don't want to say it's perfect. There are issues in it. There are several one-liners that don't work. Well, that that's, that's the thing about the trailer for me that made this movie, to me, look like oh, complete yeah. shit. Oh, I yeah. mean, you had the original dread which was so terrible so you're already going into it with that but then the trailer had so many of those cheesy one-liners yes it was just like oh give me a break and i'll tell you most of the the one-liner there are the the movie is rife with one-liners but uh there's not as many as in the the trailer pretty much has like maybe 75% of the one-liners in the trailer. Mm. I actually liked Carl Urban as Dread quite a bit. He was pretty awesome. Like, he was just... He was cool. And the voice uh, did bother me, and I, I wish he didn't do it, because um, he does do the, kind of the Christian Bale... Yes. Ugh, you know, that, that and, voice. I love how everyone does that. But the weird thing about it is he doesn't do it consistently. 
throughout the movie. There are several scenes where he's like talking to other characters and he doesn't have the same voice. So I don't know I don't know what's going on with that, but that was another thing that bothered me and it's not a perfect movie, but it is fun. It is very fun. It's pretty good looking movie. It is a it is a low budget movie and I found out that it's not even uh, an American production. It's actually I think it's a UK South African production and the the movie was filmed in Africa. Uh uh-huh, okay. It looks pretty good for being low budget. It it looks very good. So uh-huh. I recommend going to see Dread. Dread. And that's all I got, so I think we can move on and do some Amazon Blu-ray deals. Oh, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, to get to get these incredible deals, just visit our site at filmpulse.net and either click on the Amazon banner and shop as you would normally, or simply click on the provided links in the show notes. First up, we have the RoboCop Trilogy for $15.99. Jeez. Now, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the first RoboCop. And I, I enjoy the second RoboCop uh, quite a bit, but the third one's garbage. But I'm still I'm still gonna pick this up just because it's fifteen ninety nine, and I I'm sure that it's going on sale because the new RoboCop reboot is well into production now, and they 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 released some set footage or set uh, stills of Joel Kinnaman in the suit. And I, I don't really like the suit. It looks, it's like black, and it looks completely different than the original one. Mm. I'm not too into that, but we'll see. I, I still have high hopes for it. Then we have, I, I picked this one for you, Braveheart Sapphire Series. Oh no, Braveheart finally got on the Sapphire Series? Yes, it did. Oh, that's amazing. Braveheart Sapphire Series 1183. And that's uh, Blu-ray. And then Sapphire series. <laughs> and then finally, we have twenty-eight weeks later, fourteen thirty-five on that one. So, and I, I heard that they are talking about twenty-eight months later now. Oh, I'm no. not sure if I'm not sure if they have a director yet, but uh, I can't remember who directed twenty-eight weeks later, but it was really good. It was awesome. All right, well, let's get right into our review of The Master. The Beach. Master. Uh, this is directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. It stars Philip Seymour Hoffman, Joaquin Phoenix, and Amy Adams. And the IMDb synopsis states, A naval veteran arrives home from war, unsettled and uncertain of his future, until he's tantalized by the cause and its charismatic leader. Now, you have your review for The Master posted on the site, so... Yeah, which was hard. (laughs) Yeah. Hard. I imagine. I imagine it was. This is not a movie that you can review easily. I felt as though I... Like to, there was so much that I didn't get to say in the review that I wanted to. It's almost you almost have to write an essay about this movie. And I also feel like it's the type of movie that warrants uh, several rewatches in order to really get all the nuanced yeah. things that happen in it. And that's one thing that I just love 
love about this movie, and, and I should say that I, I loved this movie, P.T. Anderson is, <laughs> he's the real master of this. I mean, this guy, when, when you see this movie, there's, there's so many little things that he puts in that you're just like, why did he put that in? And then you realize, like, okay, because that's all part of, you know, the, this big story that's happening. And I oh. just I just thought the whole, th- the film as a whole was just incredible. And I loved every second of it. It was beautiful to look at. I mean, oh, yeah. this, uh, this movie was just amazing. I, I wish I got to see this in 70 millimeter. I know, I know. I, I don't know how many theaters <sighs> were actually projecting it at 70 millimeter, but I would uh, have loved to see this in yeah. 70 millimeter. Everything about it. I mean, th- this is has to win a ton of awards, or at least be nominated, I yeah. would say. It's got to be nominated. Has uh, to be. Joaquin Phoenix uh, is incredible. Probably yes. the best performance I've ever seen him uh, do and if he doesn't not only does he need to be nominated for the Oscar but he needs to win period yeah yeah he gives an amazing performance uh, I was blown away by his just one of the things that I loved was his posture in mm-hmm. this, how, how just how he had that like hunch and how he'd put his hands on his sides yeah, exactly just, <laughs> the way he would stand with his hands just all the little nuances that he put into that character, you can tell that he spent so much time just creating that character. Like the way he, his eyes would be when he would talk to people, how he would tilt his head, just everything. Yeah. It's an amazing performance. I mean, he is just, he needs to win for this. And I think he did, I think he did win an Oscar for Walk the Line, but he needs to win another one if that's the case. Philip Seymour Hoffman was no joke in this either. He was incredible as well. Yeah, but it, to me, it's not like it didn't jump out at me because Philip Seymour Hoffman's amazing in like everything. Right. He's just always amazing. Yes, he is, and and I think at its core, I think that although it's mainly a movie about the relationship between Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman, I think that it focuses more on Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah. I think that he really is the, the main character. And I would even go so far as to say Amy Adams for a supporting role. I think she should be nominated, which is something that I didn't get into in my review, which I was sort of bummed about, but I thought that she was really good in this movie. And I'm, I'm not really like a big fan of Amy Adams, but I'm slowly being won over. She just keeps getting better and better. Yeah, I mean, I think that she's great, but... she One scene in this movie, she gives, like, the most terrifying hand job. Oh, God. Ever. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. If I was was Philip Seymour Hoffman, I don't know if I'd be able to perform in that situation. (laughs) I might just have to walk away. Oh, that that was... uh, And... There were a lot of little scenes like that in this movie where you're just like, what? 
Yeah. <laughs> like, you just, just sort of caught off guard. Yeah, like the just the weird. I love the scene at the at the beginning when they're on the beach and he starts having sex or pretending to have sex with <laughs> the the sand the sand woman. Yeah, and uh, then the, runs over to the water and yeah, and masturbates f- furiously, <laughs> masturbating. It's certainly not a film for everyone. No. Uh, did you have any walkouts in your screening? Uh, I don't think we did. I didn't either. And again, I was in a full theater. And I was rushing to get there. I was seeing like a five o'clock show or something. And I was rushing to get there on time. And I, I got into the theater when the trailers were, were playing. And it was packed. And I was like, what? <laughs> like this? I can't believe this. Yeah. But, and um, isn't that awesome? I yeah. just, I love this. Movies are just getting better, and people seem to be oh, going yeah. to these Pe- movies people more are often responding. than they used to. I was, I was so surprised to see a, a full theater for the master, and maybe this movie is getting a lot of buzz. Regardless, I mean, this broke the record for um, per theater screenings opening weekend, I believe, with one hundred and forty six thousand dollars per theater. And it was only opening in five theaters, so that's it, awesome. Because I don't, I don't know about you, but when the master was announced and the release day was set, like it, this was my the Avengers. Like this is my blockbuster for the year. I've been waiting all year for this, and I was so giddy, and I was just so happy that it came to a theater that I could go see it and I didn't have to drive, you know, the whole way to Baltimore to see this. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of movies that, that were slated to come out this year that I'm just beside myself with excitement. I think Looper's I there. I mean, the next couple of weeks are going to be amazing. Yeah. Did you want to add anything else regarding, uh, we're not going to go to spoilers or anything like that for this, but, a lot of people are talking about the correlation between this and Scientology. And I wanted to just bring that up briefly okay. because Paul Thomas Anderson came out and said, look, it's not about Scientology. It's not about L. Ron Hubbard, all this stuff. But I read an article recently that pretty much it, what it does is it, it lines up the master side by side with L. Ron Hubbard's life and Scientology, and yeah. it's it's the same. It's, yeah, pretty much. It's, it's the it's almost the exact same. Yeah, because so, I did a little bit for that for the review because I was wondering, like, how much because I don't really know anything about Scientology, and I know even less of L. Ron Hubbard besides you know the books that he's written. Right. And you know, but the, one of the first thing was like the processing and all that stuff that. Uh, Lancaster Dodd's character did. Mm-hmm. I was wondering, you know, is this legit? Is this actually something that Scientology does? Or, and then to find out that it's Dianetics and that L. Ron Hubbard was doing this during the fifties and it was doing essentially exactly the same thing. So there's definitely a correlation there. Yeah, I, I think that it is pretty much the same thing. Although it is, it is to note that. The, the movie's not about the, the, the cause. It's not about uh, the, the, cult, the weirdness. That, 
it does get into that, but it's really about the relate the, the strange friendship between Joaquin yeah, Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman. That's the core of this movie. Yeah, that's that's really what it's about, and all the other stuff with the cause. That's all interesting, but that takes a backseat to the odd relationship between these two. And you know another thing that I completely forgot about, I didn't really think about until I was done writing the review and everything, and me and my wife were talking about this movie, is that Joaquin Phoenix grew up in a cult. I don't know oh, if you yeah. remember that. He's yeah. part of that uh, Children of God. Yes. I, and I completely forgot about that. I did forget about that. That's weird. Yeah. I'm guessing that probably went into why P.T. Anderson picked him, or wanted him for this movie. I would imagine. Oh, maybe. He's a great actor, but yeah, P.T. Anderson always has a knack for picking the right people for roles. And I think yeah. that's one of the big uh, factors in the success of his movies. I mean, imagine there will be blood if Daniel Day Lewis wasn't in oh, it yeah. as that character. Wouldn't have worked. No, I can't so, think of that movie without Daniel Day Lewis. Right, and just essentially like I can't think about this movie without Joaquin Phoenix. Or Philip Seymour Hoffman in their roles. Yeah. And now, where does this rank on your list of top Anderson movies? Hmm. Might be top three. Magnolia, to me, is still the best. And I don't think it's ever going to be supplanted just because of, like, the personal history I have with Magnolia. So I think that's always going to be number one. And I, I, don't know, I, I enjoyed it a little bit more than There Will Be Blood. I still think There Will Be Blood was better, but I, I think agree. I enjoy this movie more. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, th- I find that The Master was more accessible, and it was more entertaining. It was funnier. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, w- that was another thing that I enjoyed about this movie, is that there is a quite a bit of humor in it. Yes. The scene, <laughs> it's so funny. We're in the theater watching it. The scene when uh, one of the exercises they have to do is to sit in a chair across from each other and they have to stare at the other person and one person says whatever they want to that other person (laughs) for a minute and you have to stare directly at them you can't you can't look away and the other person can't respond they just have to sit there silently and the scene when Joaquin Phoenix says I want to fart in your face (laughs) I was drinking at the time, and I choked on my drink. I thought I was going to die. It was so funny. <laughs> oh, and th- that's another thing to mention is the very first scene with, uh, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix when they're doing the first, uh, the first session of processing. Right. Incredible. That, 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 yeah, that scene was just amazing. Incredible. So Blew my mind. Um, that wasn't actually my favorite scene in the movie. And I'm not giving it away. My favorite scene was actually the jail scene when they're in when oh, both yeah. of them, because I felt like may, may, maybe it was just me kind of projecting, but I felt like that that was the scene that sort of encapsulated the entire movie. The t- there's just the shot with the two of them in jail, Joaquin Phoenix uh, exploding on one side, and. Philip Seymour Hoffman just kind of standing there silently on the other side and then them kind of getting into their confrontation. Like I felt like that that was like the big culminating scene for me. 
Yeah, I read a review with P.T. Anderson where they were talking about that scene and like Joaquin Phoenix just sort of made up like everything that he right. was doing. And, yeah. And he was talking about how he, he started kicking the toilet and he didn't know that you could do that. Like right. completely explode like that. <laughs> I just yeah, thought that the, was amazing when he's like slamming his back on the top bunk. Yeah, they didn't plan on that toilet breaking like it did it, that that was my favorite scene in the movie i just thought that, that was just in, incredible but for me i still like magnolia the best as well and i think boogie nights is probably still number two for me but uh the master i think is taking up the third spot with there will be blood dropping dropping a spot to number four yeah i think it would, well for me pt anderson rank and pt anderson is like Ranky wet anderson Right, I just exactly. I like all of them. I like all of them. I don't want to say that there were any that I didn't like. In fact, I think I would go as far to say that I loved all his movies. I do need to see Heart Eight again. So yeah, same here. And I'm I'm one of those people that really loved Punch Drunk Love. Oh yeah, I forgot and about a lot. Punch of, and a lot of people yeah. think that's like his weakest film, but for whatever reason, I that's one that I really like. Oh yeah. I don't I, love- I don't know if it's just because I sort of. I see myself in Adam Sandler's character in Spots just because he's an odd person that doesn't know how to interact with people. I think that the people that don't like that as much are people that were going to see it expecting an Adam Sandler movie. Or you have the P.T. Anderson, you know, kind of artsy-fartsy fanboys that go to it and discredit it because Adam Sandler's in it. Yeah. So I think that that one had some people not liking it, but I, I think it was great. Now well, so. there's a couple of things in the review that I didn't get to get to. So I was going to just go for a couple of them right here. Now, number one is the music. I absolutely oh. love Johnny Greenwood's score for this. The guitars from Radiohead. Yes. I mean, he does an amazing job. The music has so much tension to it. Right, but at and, the same and, time, it's sort of calm, but explodes in certain spots. Yeah, exactly, and it, it was almost dreamlike at yeah. times. Uh, I I love the score, so I I really hope he gets nominated for that. I think he's definitely deserving in that area. Um, the other thing was I sort of touched on it in the review where I saw Joaquin Phoenix and <clears throat> Philip Seymour Hoffman as essentially the same, you know, dealing with the same problems. To me. Joaquin Phoenix, the way he dealt with it was he just drank. And I mean, he drank everything. Yeah. <laughs> like, just blew my mind what he was, what he used to make alcohol. Just like fuel, paint thinner, Lysol, yeah. film processing chemicals. That he's just, he was like, he was this like unbelievable chemist, but just using it for alcohol. I don't. I don't understand how all of them didn't just die after drinking that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then you know Lancaster Dodd's character it has the same problems, but he's just using this like ultra scientific mumbo jumbo to try and make sense of it all. And you're just looking. You know he's having just as hard enough time dealing with everything as Joaquin Phoenix is. It's like just drink. Joaquin Phoenix is having a little bit easier time with it. And one one of the things, and I I agree with you, I think that also uh, Joaquin Phoenix 
expresses himself more with a more physical manner, whereas yeah. uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is more of a like an emotional, verbal person. Especially like I think that that really shows in the scene when he flips out on Laura Dern for like yeah almost no reason. So I think that they're both slightly unstable. Well, that, that's one of the things, too. Like, when you first see Joaquin Phoenix's character and he's talking about, you know, you got to be able to subdue your savage ways and you got to be able to cure yourself of it. And just over and over, Joaquin Phoenix shows you that you can't. Like, it's a part of being human. So he's pretty much discrediting everything Lancaster Dodd's trying to do. And then even Lancaster Dodd himself, like, when the guy at the the dinner party or whatever it is right. is asking all the accusatory questions and he just sort of explodes and calls him a pig fuck. <laughs> I, I, I mean, <laughs> he's essentially showing that you, you can't do it. And that's what I thought, uh, like the Freddie Quell character is, I thought was more genuine and human than the Lancaster Dodd character. Well, the interesting thing, uh, we know the motivations for the most part. We know, why uh, Freddie Joaquin Phoenix is, is the way he is. Clearly he has some kind of PTSD from the war. But we don't, what we don't know is really why Philip Seymour Hoffman is the way he is. I, I agree that they are very similar. They're, they're kind of two sides of the same coin. But I'm just wondering why uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman always seemed to be, he always seemed to be just barely in control of himself. Yeah. And I think with, if you look at it, the, both of them had sort of the same vices. They both liked to drink. Right. They both liked to womanize, even though you, I, I mean, you didn't really get a sense of it as much with the Lancaster Dodd character, but you knew it was there. And that's what came about in the whole terrifying right. hand job scene. And, they're both, I think both of them are just trying to escape essentially their life or their past. You know, uh, Freddie Quill's escape in his past and what happened in the war and everything. And Lancaster Dodd's just trying to escape all of his critics and his naysayers and just trying to get away. Yeah, that's true. that's true. But I also, another thing that I wanted to touch on that I didn't get to in the review is that a very poignant scene at the end, which was one of my favorite lines of the entire movie is when Lancaster says to Freddie, if you can find a way to live life without serving a master, tell the rest of us. Because essentially mm-hmm. that's what they're all looking for is to be able to live free and not be controlled by something. In Freddie's instance, you know, his past and his alcoholism. And I just thought that that was a really poignant line and sort of a way of Lancaster saying that like, I haven't found the way, even though I say that I'm the master and I know all this stuff. I'm essentially a fraud, but I'm still looking. And I also thought that Amy Adams' character as, you know, Lancaster Dodd's wife sort of came off as his master. Like yeah, She seemed extremely yeah. controlling of him and made all the decisions and was just sort of essentially just told him what to do and what he needed to do. Essentially yeah. saying that you can't be friends with Freddie Quell. You need to get rid of him. And it's just, you know, they had such a odd relationship, but you could definitely tell that it was like a strong bond between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there you have it. The Master. Excellent film. Kevin, you gave it 8 out of 10? 
I give it mean? an eight out of ten. Yeah. Uh, I give it a four and a half out of five on Letterboxd. I don't know. I guess that would translate to an eight and a half or something around there. I'd give it. I'd give it an eight or an eight and a half. I wouldn't give it a nine. I don't know. Maybe I mean, that, that maybe that would knock me down to a four on Letterboxd, but I would have to say that it's definitely a rewatch. Oh yeah, I mean, that would be, I, I definitely want to see this again. And it's one of those movies that I just kept thinking. I mean, hell, it took me like three hours almost to write that review because I just kept thinking of other things, and then and then even after I was done, I started thinking of other things that I wanted to say. And it's just, like I said, yeah. you need to write an essay about this movie, not a. I'm sure I'm sure there will be plenty of oh, essays yeah. written about this movie. So check it out. The Master, it's playing it, it's got a wider release now, so it, it should be playing in your area. I think it's still at uh, just under eight hundred theaters, but uh, check it out. Highly recommend yeah. it. Uh, let's move on and go over our movie predictions for the week. We said uh, Dread 3D. You said 80. These are Rotten Tomatoes scores. Uh, you said 80. I said 82. Actual 78. Mm. You swept the week, by the way. You got all three of the ones we did. Something uh, House of House at the End of the Street. You said 30. I said 45. Actual 14. Ouch. Ooh. Looks like Jennifer Lawrence made a misstep. Ooh. Then we have End of Watch. You said 84, I said 76. Actual 85 for End of Watch. Ooh. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to check this out yet. Our contributor, Daniel, saw it and posted a review. He gave it a six and a half, so I don't know. Next week, big week next week, Looper. I can't wait. wait. What are you thinking? What are you thinking on Looper? Hmm. Looper. Man. Thinking like a ninety-two. Mm, that's that's good. That's a good choice. I'm gonna say ninety-three. All right. And then we have. <laughs> okay, <you> asshole. <laughs> uh, then we have uh, s- some other ones that aren't quite as exciting. Uh, Hotel Transylvania. Yes. I'm gonna say fifty. Uh, I'm gonna say. I think this would be a little bit better. I'm going to say like a 61. I have no interest in it, but I, I hope it'll be good. Then we have Won't Back Down. This is that Maggie Gyllenhaal. Oh, yes. It's about like teachers, isn't it? It's about something. <laughs> what do you think on this one? Uh, i go 80. 80 on that? Okay. I'm going to say... This is, this is a tough one. It's either going to be good... You know, critics are going to love it, but they're going to absolutely hate it. 82, I'm going to say. All right. All right. Uh, then we have Pitch Perfect. <laughs> uh, I actually know someone that's in this movie, but that doesn't mean I'm going to... I think that it's going to be good. I'm going to say... That's right. You do know someone. Who do you know that's in this movie? Uh, CJ Perry. CJ Perry. That's right. Yes, I do know her. I was going to try to interview her for the show, and then for some reason I, I didn't. <laughs> I don't know. We might, we might have her on at some point. I'm going to say uh, 42. I'm going to say you're 42. 
It doesn't look good to me, but... Mm. I'd say like a 48. All right, that does it for next week. So uh, we'll be doing our feature review of Looper on the show next week. Uh, And then we have DVD and Blu-ray releases for Tuesday, September 25th. Let's do this. We got The Avengers, another big one. I'm really excited for this one, so I'm I'm going to... What's that movie about? I'm going to highly recommend picking this up on Blu-ray. If you don't, you're an asshole. Oh, I probably won't. Uh, Then then you should at least rent it. Uh, Yeah, I'm probably going to. You don't really buy a lot of Blu-rays, though, so... No. No, um, <clears throat> another recommendation Clown comes out on DVD and Blu-ray Check it out Check that one out, definitely And then uh, check out the TV show Yes, I do find the TV show to be better The I think the TV show is better as well Very funny If you like Curb Your Enthusiasm You'll like Clown, we talked about it a million times On the show And Eating Raul On Criterion um, This is a uh, I just watched this recently on Hulu, and uh, it was okay. I thought it was pretty good, but I would be interested to see the Criterion Blu-ray and see what kind of special features and stuff, so I might be picking this up. And we give recommendations to everything on Criterion, so... Oh, yeah. That's all I got. I got a couple. Another Criterion that's coming out is The Game. Oh, I didn't know that that was coming out next Tuesday. Shit. David Fincher, Blu-ray, Criterion, Commentary, an hour's worth of exclusive behind-the-scene footage, uh, alternate ending, and of course, like they always do, a booklet with a, like some essays about the film. So you definitely got to check that out, because the game to me is one of those... When people talk about David Fincher, they don't seem to talk about the game I think they much. forget. I think they forget that he did that. And I think it's one of his best. I, I absolutely loved the game. Yeah, I'll be picking this one up. I cannot. When they announced that, I was like, yes. And the cover? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah. The cover is amazing. <laughs> one other movie is, I mean, this is really for only a select group of people. But I'm definitely interested in it is Gerhard Richter Painting, which is a documentary uh, that follows Gerhard Richter who's a German painter and he's one of my favorite painters. And I actually, the weird thing that I found out about this guy is I used like the same technique and I didn't even know about it. And then I was at the, I think it was the Philadelphia art museum and they had this huge Gerhardt Richter painting. And I was like, Oh, that looks like the stuff I do. So I was a little bit excited that I paint like this guy without knowing it. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Um, there were a couple other things that I wanted to mention. Oh, Damsel's in Distress, too. That's the, Yeah, that that one's, for some reason, I just, it was on my list, but I just forgot to re- read it. <laughs> uh, Damsel's in Distress comes out. I You had an interest in this one, but I did not. So maybe you could check that out. and. Yeah, I'll just, probably check. I don't know if I'm going to, you know, run to it. At some point in time, I'll get around to it, probably. Let us know. Just let us know what you thought about that. Uh, also, American Horror Story, the complete first season, comes out. If you haven't checked out American Horror Story, the new season's going to be starting, I think, uh, pretty soon. I think sometime in October. So get caught up. It's a great show. I love it. 
Ooh, and I just saw here Portlandia seasons one and two. <laughs> that's that's the other one that's on my list. Yes, uh, the third season of Portlandia is going to be starting soon. So yes, they're, they're putting out those. Uh, if you haven't checked out Portlandia, please do that as well because it's another great show. I love it. Yeah, and I think that does it. All right, I think that's a show. That one out. Knock yeah. it out. Knock that one out. For all the latest film news and reviews, visit us at filmpulse.net. We want to hear your feedback. Send us an email at feedback at filmpulse.net or call our voicemail line at 850-391-6071. Also, please take a minute to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that. And make sure you hit the donate buttons down at the bottom of the post. We appreciate that even more. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. And I'm Kevin. And we will see you on Wednesday for Ryan Watches a Movie when we have him watch Primer in honor of Looper. Don't you think he would know if, like, hetero gay... Or, yeah, hetero gay...